0: Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us and we're grateful. We desperately need to hear from you lots of other mission uh, messages that fill our minds and our hearts throughout the week. And oftentimes the message of your word and what you have to say can become kind of muddled and foggy. And so I pray that in this time, um, by your work, the your word, your spirit, the Interaction amongst each other that you would help us to hear what it is that you need to say to us. As we think this morning about building your kingdom that you would enable us to be faithful in doing that and so that you would strengthen our hands and our minds and our hearts to do that work this morning. Thanks that you have promised that you have not left us alone but will attend to your word by your spirit. So strengthen us this morning to do and to respond to this, in Jesus' name, we pray, Amen. Um, if you'd open your bibles, bibles to Matthew chapter twenty-five, Matthew's twenty-five, we're going to look at another parable. I've been, as I have uh, had opportunity to preach over the last few months, been just working through different parables that we find in the Scripture, and this one we find uh, is the last parable that we have that Mark, the Gospel of of Matthew, gives to us. Um, that Jesus from the lips of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the parable of the talents what is entrusted to us. We're going to look uh, read 14 through verse 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents to another two and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The place of this parable is interesting as we as we look at it. I mentioned it's the last parable that we have from the lips of Jesus, but it's also in the context we find that it's in the in the, the setting of this teaching, it's called the last, the fifth discourse. It's in this whole setting where Jesus is teaching about the end times. He's teaching about that time period in between when his first coming and his second coming. And he describes and discusses what it will be like at the second coming and at what point and what can be expected there. And so this parable is found in this and the other parable that precedes it, the ten virgins are connected together and carry with it a kind of message that accompanies these, this message of the last days, the message of the returning of Jesus Christ of the Son of Of man, And so it's connected. And so the context is important for us because it connects for us, one, the importance of faithfulness as this parable is going to bear out and challenge us to live lives that are faithful to the return of our master. It connects that along with understanding that God is doing something in time and space, that he is building a kingdom. And our faithfulness in some way is to contribute to his work and what he is doing. That our days and what we fill our days and our time with is to be partnering and a part of what he is doing in the building of his kingdom. And so it reminds us that this faithfulness is connected with his faithfulness to his purposes. And it helps us as we think about as Christians about our view and what the Bible tells us about time and what it tells us about history. And it reminds us that God is the one who is in charge of everything he is in charge of time. He is in charge of all the events of history. In fact, they have movement, that there's direction in them. That the study in theology of eschatology might be a term you have heard you, heard. you can use it this week if you'd like. Eschatology is the study of the last things or the last times. And it looks at what's going to happen and, and when, and it studies that. But more than just that, this study, this doctrine helps us understand that there's movement and direction in history that God is in the business of doing something that our lives and our days are to be tied up in what he is doing and it's purposeful. It's not random, it's not cyclical, it's not um, fated, it's something that he is doing and we get to be a part of it. And in his teaching in this parable reminds us that our faithfulness enables us to partner with him in his plans and what he is doing and it reminds us and reinforces for us that our days have meaning that our days have purpose, that we are to use them and we're to invest our days and our time and our energy and resources in such a way to be a part of what he's doing. Because we can get into this pattern, right, as the days come by and they fly through and we watch them check off the calendar, that we, just, that we, we can fall into this passive idea that we're just to get through it. If I just get through it, somehow it's better. And we miss the point of truly investing the time that God's given to us, and that's difficult, especially in the busyness of our days. But let us not fall into just being passive. Let us not fall into this idea that just getting through our days is the point because God says what I want you to do is invest what I've given to you. I want you to be active investing the gift of the days and the resources that I've given to you to do something with it, to partner with me in my plans of building my kingdom. And so the call, and there's a charge for us in this parable to be faithful to invest our days, not fall into just kind of getting by, not fall into the idea of just kind of getting by and and kind of being comfortable and just getting through. Eat, breathe, live, and someday you'll die. To No, let's invest what God has given to us, and it gives us great motivation in the way that we live. Again, the context also reminds us of something this parable that we're going to look at in the parable that precedes it, that there's going to be a return of one that's very important, the one that has entrusted to us a certain kind of charge, that the Son of Man, that Jesus will return at that point in time, the kingdom will be consummated, that his plans will be finished in time as we know it will, will end, and a new time will begin in his reign and his rule at that point will be completed and consummated. We live now in that middle stage between his first and his second coming, but he will return. We can be certain of that. In both parables, the bridegroom and the master both return at times maybe that were unexpected, but he did return And Jesus' promises that he will return. To the joy of those who are anticipating that, to the joy and delight of those who are eager to see him return and were faithful in that process, and to the demise and to the terror of those who were not prepared for his return we find but we know for certain of this as well that he tells us in verse 36 that the day and hour of his return is only known to the father and so we need not speculate as to when he might return that our lives are not to be filled with with solving riddles and taking mathematical equations and trying to figure out when he's going to return. May that be May 21st or whatever day that might be. That we would not be carried, that our time wouldn't be spent and distracted and trying to figure that out. He's clear. We don't know when he's going to return. But the one thing we know that it is clear, he's given us a charge. And he's called us to be faithful with the charge that he's placed before us. And our focus is to be on that. Not on trying to figure out when he's returning on that day. Well, the two parables are connected, as I mentioned. The parable precedes of the ten virgins and this parable of the talents. It's connected around the theme of readiness or being prepared. What does it mean to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ? What does it mean? How is it that we are to be prepared? And the first one looks at five wise virgins and five who are unwise. And the five wise virgins had enough oil in their lamp as they anticipated the return of the bridegroom. And they are prepared. And the five who were unwise did not have enough. Were not sufficient. As a result, suffered punishment. And in this one, we see that there's faithful and unfaithful ta- um, servants. That there are two servants who are faithful with the gift that's been entrusted to them. And there's one that is unfaithful. And together they answer the question, these two parables, what's it look like to be ready for his return? What's it look like? How is it that we are to spend our days now? How is it that we partner with him in his building of his kingdom? What does it look like, as Paul would write in 2 Timothy, to love the returning of Jesus Christ? And he gives us some pictures in this parable to help us understand that if it's not to be our days are not to be spent in solving riddles what are they to be spent with what is to be what is to describe our lives here and now and he gives us a variety of, of points here that we want to draw from now I gotta be honest with you uh, this started as one sermon it's turned into two and for your benefit it's going to be one today and I'll finish next week as opposed to two into one and either next week or in a couple of weeks I'll be up to bat and uh, we'll finish it off but this morning what I want to look at as we think about our faithfulness and being ready is looking through the lens and understanding what this talent is, the talents that were entrusted to the servants, and applying that to our lives. What is it? What are these talents that are entrusted to them? And what is it that they're to do with them? What's the purpose of their talent? And how does that purpose fit into God's plans in our lives? And so we're going to look at that talent. What's he entrusted to us and what we are to use as we consider living in this time period? So that's what we want to look at this morning is this idea the picture of the talent that he gives us next time we're going to look at the reward and judgment as a result of faithfulness or unfaithfulness with that and we'll follow that up with that first of all in verse 14 as i read earlier we see it's a man it will be like a man going on a journey it's important there the it there is is really you have to go back to verse one to know what the it is it's the kingdom of heaven that the two parables are tied together it has the same introduction The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. So Jesus is teaching us about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. He's looking forward and anticipating the nature of it at the coming of the son of man, at the coming of the master at that time. So the two are connected and we see it's looking forward in that respect. It'll be like this, a man, a master who has a great estate and he has property and he, he calls his servants to him and he entrusts each of them a certain amount. And it says five talents, two talents, and one talent to each of his servants, each according to their ability. And what's important for us to recognize there in entrusting his talents, his estate to them, he is bringing them in as a partner. He is calling them to be partners with him in his business. He is going to be gone and he is leaving his estate in charge with them. And his purposes for his estate is not just mere maintenance or preservation. That he calls them, and two of the servants get this. The purpose that he's entrusted to them is to grow it. It's to see it expanded. It's to see it improved. It's to see it continue to expand. And so he says, Work it, do something, whatever you need to do, take what I've entrusted to you and see it grow. And so your goal is not just to keep it safe, it's to cast it out there and to see what might happen and how it might grow and how it might expand. So it's to grow it, and that's his purposes for the, what's entrusted to them. It's not to keep it, it's not to bury it like the one servant did. It's to work it, it's to cast it out there and to do that. Risk is certainly involved in this work, in this venture. They would recognize that as they would, as they would buy and they sell, as they would trade, that risk of loss would be a part of that, could be a part of it. But what overrides the risk for them is the joy and delight of pleasing their master and seeing what his talents entrusted to them would accomplish. So there's risk that's there, but they would also get to share in its gain. The servants receive the amount. We're told that at once, the first two go and get to work. At once, the one with five goes and earns five more. At once, the other one gets to work with two, goes and and earns two more. And then the one, we're told that what he does, there's a big but in this passage, but he who had one went and buried it in the ground. And then after a long time, we're told that the, the master returns, we don't know how long, but in a fair amount of time, he returns, and he calls the two faithful servants to himself. In fact, they comb eagerly, willing to show what is, had been accomplished with the talents that he'd given to them, and he rewards them both the same. And then the unfaithful servant comes, is brought to him, and there's a discussion that goes on, and there's a judgment as a result of his unfaithfulness. We'll look more specifically at that next time. Because we ask the question about this talent, what is it? And for what purpose is it to be entrusted to us? Well, first of all, as we look at this idea of a talent, in, in the story itself, in the parable, a talent is a monetary weight. A talent is a certain amount of money that's entrusted to them. He took his estate, liquidated it, we suppose, and said, here, go do this. And we don't know exactly how much that is. We know that a talent was between 50 and 80 pounds of a precious metal. Um, it is approximately 20 years of um, wages for a common laborer. And different commentators will have different kinds of attempts to, to translate this into our terms, but it's perhaps three hundred to $500,000. And so each one of them, regardless if it's five, two, or one talent, is entrusted with a lot of money. It's a significant amount of money, enough money, enough resources to go do work, to do, go do and accomplish what the master would intend. So it's a fair amount of money, and each is given according to his ability. And so what uh, what they each do with it tells us something about how they see the gift. Each one of them, it reveals to them their value of the gift and, and more importantly, their value of the relationship with the master. The first one with the five and the, the two go and they, they put it to work. They're eager to work. They're eager to see what will happen as a result of the talents entrusted to them. And it tells us something about their, their desire, the way what they see has been given to them as a gift. It's a gift that the master desires them to use. And indeed, the way they see their own master is that they want to bring pleasure to him. They want to put these to work. They want to bring delight to him. So they put it to work. They see it as a gift. And they see that their partnership with the master and his work is a joy, and they're eager to get to work, whereas we see the last servant who goes and he buries is it tells us a whole lot about his interest in the gift, how he sees it, and how he sees his relationship with the master. Of course, he could have been frustrated, right? If somebody gets $1.5 million and one only gets $300,000, wouldn't you wish that you had more? And might he be frustrated just a little bit? Yeah, I suppose there could be a little bit that there, that he would be angry and envious at that. But we're told later on that he is slothful and that he's lazy. That his interests are not in being busy with what the master had given to him. That his interests are his own interests. It's his own, it's interesting his own comfort, his own desire. And so he is lazy as well. But it tells us about how he values the gift. He does not care about the partnership with the master. He doesn't care about partnering with him. He's going to bury the the gift in the ground. He's going to leave it there. And it tells how he sees him. He doesn't care about his work. He doesn't care about what he would do or what would be accomplished with it. He's satisfied with putting it in the ground and leaving it there. For him, it's safe. You know, when the master returns, he'll return it to him. But he has no care about what might be accomplished with it and certainly the work that we go in with it. Now, we see this, and Jesus says, here it is. Some of them go to work with it. Some of them don't. There's different amounts but we understand that, that the two that put it to work there was great gain. There was a yield for the master's, his estate, and for his purposes and intent there. So the question for us is how is it that we're to understand and how is this, what's this representing in our lives? What God has given to us. We certainly understand that a part of it is that he, he has called us to be in partnership with him. And all that he entrusts to us is a reflection of that. And all that he has entrusted to us is to be used faithfully for his purposes. And as we live in partnership with him, we will use our time, our energy, and our resources, the gospel and scriptures to build his kingdom and do that. But how is it that we're to improve it? How do we understand this idea of, of a talent? How does it apply to us? The problem with the word in some ways in understanding is that the word talent, we have understanding of the word talent. We use it for kind of natural abilities that people have or develop We use that, and the problem with that understanding is it kind of narrows the idea of this text because the text uses the term talent, understanding a kind of resource that's entrusted for people to do work. The talent in the text is a resource that they're to accomplish something with, that they're to do work with. And so we want to be careful not to narrow our understanding or our concept of what a talent is. And it's interesting because Jesus does not tell us exactly what he means for us in the parable what he means when he gives us a talent. He doesn't describe it for us. He doesn't define it for us. He doesn't say exactly what that talent is as it relates to us. But he leaves it ambiguous in its application for each one of us. And I think he leaves it purposefully ambiguous in how we understand what those resources are that he gives to us. Because in our understanding, as we look at at talents or the capacity to do work, For his kingdom, what we will end up doing is narrowing that idea of what it is that God can use and miss the point that in God's sovereign and his good hand, that anything can be used and everything can be used as work for his kingdom. That anything that he brings into our lives, anything that he fills us with, can be used to build his kingdom and to expand it. And so our notions or ideas sometimes can be too small, can be too narrow of what it is that God will use in our lives. And so we would say, well, you need money, so I need money. I need talents and abilities, so I need those things. And we think we limit to those positive, if you will, those things that we like to have is merely the things that are talents. And we miss sometimes the less than obvious things that really are part of the ways that God will do his work. And so there's some obvious things and there's some things that are less than obvious for us. Now, the obvious ones we know and we understand. We understand that God has entrusted to us the gospel. That a part of the, the gift that he's given to us that we are to use and to pass on to others is the gospel. Of his message, his saving message that he has saved us. Our sins are forgiven. And he is in the process of saving us, of transferring us into the kingdom of his life. And he is in the process of transforming us. And that great message of the gospel is one we are to use. And it has great power in the kingdom as well. The scriptures he's given to us, we know are to be used. And it tells us about the king. It tells us about his kingdom. It tells us what it means to be faithful. It warns us against ways that we can be lied to and deceived about what we're to be other things we might be living for. And so the scriptures give us truth of this and, and his return as well. He's given us resources, time and energy and money that we're to use. And we certainly understand that. To, to be put to use. He's placed us here in this exact time and place in Lawrence, Kansas in 2011, to do something to bring about his purposes here. And so he enables us to do that. And that's another gift that he's placed in us. He gives us relationships, relationships with each other, relationships with family, with our neighbors, relationships with people at work. And those relationships are to, are to be seen as as well gifts to be used in the building of his kingdom that he would use those relationships to do work for him. And we'd recognize that as such. As well, he's given us spiritual gifts and natural abilities that he's endowed us with. And I have no doubt that each one of us, that each one of us, there's a particular gift that he's given us and he calls us to use in the context of the church of our lives and abilities. And again, we don't want to narrow these. We recognize that lots of things can be used. Different ways that he has gifted us can be used in a variety of ways for the building of his kingdom. And all these are obvious, and I have no doubt that I would ask you to raise your hands and give me other ideas or ways or things that God would use to build his kingdom. We could could spend the rest of our morning just making lists of those things, and we know those, and we're called what faithfulness looks like, is to put those to use as he has given those to us to use those. But there's a couple of less than obvious talents that I want to identify a couple of gifts that sometimes we maybe not wouldn't see specifically as what God might use in building his kingdom. And they both have to do and they relate to our lives and how he has worked in our lives. And the first one is, is our own testimonies that God would use his work in our lives to do work for his kingdom. And it makes sense, right? We as his partners, we as his people that we would use the story, the testimony of his grace in our lives, that it would go out through us and others would hear and understand that. They would see God's grace manifested in and through us and his work in and through our lives. That through the lens of his sovereignty, our own stories become testimony of his grace and we want to display them. We want to talk about them. We want to recognize that his work in my life is something that others need to hear. And indeed, you can read through the scripture and certainly Paul was no stranger to using this as a tool in in passing on the gospel. And he used it a number of times and even in Acts 26 as he stands before King Agrippa there and and really in defense of himself, he gives his own testimony. In defense of himself, it's kind of a legal setting as he stands. The story he tells in his legal defense is his encounter with Christ. How Christ had really uh, ambushed him and, and captured him as his and that is his defense. And throughout the, the rest of his writing is too. we see his encounter with Christ as a tool that he uses and would recognize that that God would use in building his kingdom and so we need to recognize that and reflect on how God has intersected our lives to look back on our lives and see how is it and to remember again if it's been years since we've come to know him to recognize how we've come to know him But then also in the course of time, how we have come to know him in new and deeper and different ways. And those become the tools that God can use, those become gifts that God would use in furthering his kingdom. But there's probably a couple groups of people in here. I know I fit into one of these in the way that I would think. And one group of you are those who are sitting and you say, you know, my story, my testimony, it's just way too boring for God to really use. You know, I grew up in the church. You know, there's nothing really sensational about my life. There's no kind of rags to riches from the gutter to the pew or whatever kind of story for me. So it just, it just seems too boring. I'm not sure God can really use that story. Oh, yeah, there was that time I swore at my sister when I was 12. And, and yeah, I do happen to be a chronic jaywalker. And, and, yeah, I'm a serial parking, you know, meter violator. But other than that, uh, I'm not sure there's much sizzle in my story. And we can be lured into thinking that our story, if that's the case, is just too boring. There's nothing there that God can use. And yet upon reflection, we'll find in our lives, we can see the preservation of God in his gospel as a great gift. And the saving power of his gospel is just as sufficient, as just as visible in our lives of those who think our story is too boring as those who maybe, maybe are less than boring, whatever that might be, however we might interpret that. There's another group of us here too, though, and that's the group that would see their story as much too hard, much too bad for God to use. After all, how could God use my story after what I've done? As I look at my own life, I'm not sure what he can really do. I see myself more as damaged goods. I find myself saved, but I'm not sure God can really use the story that I have, and I'm afraid there's no use here in my life. For those of us as we look at our lives and we see the damages here we see our failure we see our brokenness and our sin and our guilt we need to look again at the gospel and recognize that as God saves us he saves us on purpose and our stories our lives are by his control and that he has walked us through each step on purpose and those different facets of our lives that we would choose not to share Those are the ones that God would desire to use as we grow in our knowledge of him and his goodness. As we grow in understanding of his healing and the way he can use our brokenness. We see that that becomes a powerful tool that God would use in relation to others. And so our history, our story is a testimony of God's saving power. And it's a gift to us. It's a gift that he's given to each one of us to use. And a part of the process for us is to reflect on that. To think about that. To bring to, to praise him for, it, but then to ask the question, God, how might you use your work in my life to do your kingdom work? It takes time, it takes some energy, maybe processing with a friend to think about that, but I think we'll find over the course of time. It's a great and beautiful tool for us. Well, there's another tool that might be less than obvious. It's, it's a part of the gift, a part of this capacity to do, to do work that God gives to each one of us. And that is undesirable circumstances that we find ourselves in for each one of us. That there are circumstances where we find ourselves that we would rather not encounter. And we find that, that God in his sovereignty and his goodness and his mystery is able to use those circumstances to accomplish his work in powerful kinds of ways. See, our notions of what God can use and does use is oftentimes too narrow. It's only the good things, the positive things as opposed to oftentimes the hard things to put him on display. And I think that's where the health and wealth version of the gospel that emphasizes prosperity and health and somehow resigns God to only using healthy bodies and full bank accounts gets it wrong. It doesn't understand completely that what God can use oftentimes in a more profound and powerful way is the absence, not full bank accounts and broken bodies to put on display his goodness and his greatness. And so we understand that undesirable circumstances are as a way that he can be at work in our lives. And we must understand that God in his sovereignly good and mysterious hand, that nothing is wasted in our lives. And so the circumstances that come that we wouldn't choose, God uses in a profound way in our lives, of course, but then over the course of time through our lives and in the lives of others, These circumstances we would desire to be different, these are a part of the talent. These are part of the gift that God gives to us that we're to put to use. And to recognize that is important for us to say, whether I want this talent or not, because we don't choose our talents, he gives them to us. It's a part of that. It's a part of the gift. And he says, put this to work. No matter what it is, I've entrusted it to you. All of us have these kinds of undesirable gifts that he's placed in our hands Circumstances that he desires to use as opportunities to build his kingdom, to put to work. And the perspective and understanding of what he is doing in and through those times is necessary for us to truly put that to work. John Piper wrote an article based upon his diagnosis of uh, cancer at that point in time. John Piper's a pastor up in, in um, somewhere up north, Minneapolis. Anyway, and in it, he, he, the, the title of the article is Don't Waste Your Cancer. And his understanding is that whatever comes into our lives is a gift and it can be squandered or can be invested and he sees cancer in the same lens, in the same way. And so we would see our own circumstances in the same way, that it's a gift, the difficult ones. To invest. And he has a list of ten ways that he one could waste their cancer. And what I have done is translated the few of them that really have a universal application to each one of us in terms of our own situations and circumstances that we would choose or rather not be in. And for each one of us, as I read through these, I'm gonna replace his word cancer with my word circumstance. As you think about your own life and those circumstances that reflect you, think about. This Think about that and apply this to your lives. He writes this, you will waste your circumstance if you do not believe it is designed for you by God. You will waste your circumstance, whatever it is, if you don't understand it's designed for you by God. You will waste your circumstance if you believe it's a curse and not a gift. If your intention is to bury it in the ground as opposed to put it to use. You will waste your circumstance if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationships with manifest affection. You will waste your circumstance if you spend too much time reading about your circumstance and not enough time reading about God. You will waste your circumstance if you grieve as those who have no hope. And you will waste your circumstance if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth and the glory of Christ. You can see those on his website, um, Desiring God and Don't Waste Your Your Cancer. But the challenge to us is to take the gifts that God has placed in our lives and to use them. Some of those are obvious. Some of them are much less than obvious. But through the lens of his sovereignty and his goodness, we recognize no matter what those are, they're opportunities for us to use their gifts to build his kingdom. I was sitting with a group of of men this week and men who were kind of in in circumstances they wish were different. And each one, we were kind of having a discussion, each one, they were in, in these circumstances. And one of the guys made the comment, he said, you know, I'm ready to get out of this situation. But he said, I just don't want to miss what God is doing in the midst of this time. I don't want to miss what God is doing during this time in my life. And I think sometimes in those circumstances, our goal is just to get out and we miss how he might do, what he might be doing in our lives as well, as well as what he might be doing in and through us in those circumstances. So these are gifts that God has given us for the building of his kingdom. It's a talent that's entrusted. Part of the process of faithfulness of living here and now is using it, having eyes to see, and asking him for the strength to entrust what he's given to us to use and to multiply it and to expand on it so that others would come to know him and that we indeed would come to know him in a deeper way. There's a final point I wanna make as we look at these talents in this passage and as they relate to how we're to live and and faithfully with them. I mentioned this in the offertory, but it's important to, to, to mention again that the amount of talent or the amount of the gift is less significant than what we do with it. The amount that he's given to us is less significant than what we do with it. It's more important that we take what's given to us and put it to work than we're looking around comparing what we have versus what others have. If we look around and we compare, like the guy who buried this talent in the ground, he didn't recognize that what he had was still a lot and still had the capacity to do a lot. And so God has gifted each one of us. He's given us something to use, opportunity and responsibility to put to work. And the minute we begin looking around and comparing what others have, will be the very minute that we are in a precarious situation and position in a dangerous situation for ourselves because then we find ourselves going down the road of questioning if indeed what I have is a gift at all and wanting what somebody else has as opposed to what God has entrusted to me. Instead of getting to work with what he's given to us, we're comparing what other people have versus what He has given to us and so the challenge for us is to recognize what he has entrusted to us as a gift and to put it to work in partnering with him it's interesting because Peter had this kind of situation he returns to John chapter 21 John chapter 21 the very end of the gospels of this this gospel there's a setting where Jesus if you remember is reinstating Peter and he asked him do you love me feed my sheep three different times and in verse 17 the third time he asks him then jesus reveals something devastating to peter about how he's going to die in verse 17 jesus he said to him a third time simon son of john do you love me peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time do you love me and he said to him lord you know everything you know that i love you and jesus said to him feed my sheep truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Then after this, he gets this message, right? Jesus says, you're going to die not a very comfortable death. This is how you're going to die. And then Peter turns to him and says, he turned to him and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. He sees John following them, the one who had been reclining at the table to, uh, to him and said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? That one, that's John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. You see what Peter, what's happening is Peter recognizes he's not liking the message he's getting. He's not liking the talent and the gift that God, Jesus says, you're going to receive this. You will die in this kind of way. And this death will bring, bring glory to me. It will expand my kingdom. You might not like it. And he looks at him and says, well, well what about John? What, what's, what's he going to get And Jesus just says, what's that to you? It should be of no interest to you what I give to him. I will give to him what I want. Each according to his own ability, I will give him his responsibility. As I give him, give you yours. And Jesus just simply says, you follow me. You get to work with what I've given you. You continue on the path that I've set you on. Yeah, it's not pretty, but I will be with you. Take the talent, take the gift that I am giving to you and put it to work and follow me. And so as we ask the question, how is it we're to live in this period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming? We're to be faithful. And what's faithfulness look like? It means that we look to the gift, what God has entrusted to us, all the obvious things, all the less than obvious things. And ask him to give us eyes to see, to recognize that all these things are a part of partnership. With him and building his kingdom and asking him to use what he has entrusted in our lives to be multiplied for his kingdom, that we would enjoy and great take great delight in building his kingdom, of taking what he has given to us and passing on to him. And the beauty of this for each one of us, as we look at this, as we grow in understanding of what's it mean to partner with him, and the, the astounding, humbling fact that we get to partner with him is that we do get to see things grow here by his grace. But there's something more to come. There is reward that will come as we see him face to face. And the next time we address this, this, is going to be part two. We're going to look at that reward that we receive for those who are faithful. And taking the gift that he's given to them and entrusting and putting it to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our eyes strain sometimes to see the gift that you've given to us. And I pray for each one of us that we would see and recognize and be grateful for both the obvious and those gifts that are less than obvious. Help us not to just use them for ourselves, but to put them to work for your kingdom. Enable us to work them, to um, not bury them in the ground either, but to see you do that. And I pray for the circumstances in our lives that you would help us to put them to work as well. Give us your strength and your vision, your perspective to respond rightly to those things that we would choose not to be a part of our lives. Father, help us to be faithful in this interim period as we await your return, that we would love and long for that. Father, there are needs in our congregation as we recognize these needs are connected as well with what you're doing in our lives. And we pray, though, that you would meet and comfort each one. Father, I think of Scott and Emily Lang and the the news this last week of their pregnancy and the diagnosis of their um, this child that that Emily is carrying with encephaly. Father, would you comfort them? Would you encourage them? Would you keep their perspective fixed on you and your ability to work in and through even these circumstances? They would find your goodness there and that they would put on display you in and through their response to this. We pray for Titus Seville as he heals from his broken leg uh, continue to be with him and his cast and that he would heal quickly and um, in, a, in a complete fashion. Think of Michael Allen as well, the Yog intern with a broken leg as well as of this last week that you would be with him as well. We think of Family Promise this week as it, as it comes that you would enable us as your people to uh, demonstrate hospitality in the gospel and in through our lives and interaction with these folks who will be our guests. And, fathers, we think about the different ministries that we we support in, as a ministry, as a church, think of Young Life and Rick Mumford and his presentation last week here, uh, we pray that you would bless their ministry and you would grow it, that you would use them to take the gospel uh, to others. We pray for Lauren Kish as well and her ministry in Rome, and she is back now that you would encourage her and refresh her for her ministry there as well and for Daniel and Sarah Puttkamp. Pray for them in Costa Rica with EMI, that you would continue to use them and be with them and their family and protect them uh, there around the world. And that would you send each one of us, Father, to uh, our neighborhoods and our workplaces and those that we come in contact with, with the great message of your gospel. Help us to do that today and each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand for the benediction benediction, remind us again that uh, faithfulness doesn't even come from us. It's not something we bring about. It comes from God's power at work within us. So receive this as God's benediction, his good word to us, his presence and work in our lives. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray, your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, so that everyone might know your name. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth Till your sovereign work on earth is done Let your kingdom come Give us your strength, O God And courage to speak Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. By grace, we'll preach your gospel till our dying breath. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, so that everyone might know your name. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth, till your sovereign work on earth is done. Let your kingdom come, let your wind done, so that everyone might know your name. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth, till your sovereign work on earth is done. Let your kingdom come.